Section three of the Morals, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Morals, Volume two, by Plutarch. Translated by several hands. Corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. The Banquet of the Seven Wise Men, Part three. Sixteen. Yea, doubtless, replies Solon, or we may be reputed more injudicious than the Egyptians. For when any person dies among them, they open him and show him so dissected to the sun. His guts they throw into the river. To the remaining parts they allow a decent burial, for they think the body now pure and clean. And to speak truly, they are the foulest parts of the body, and like that lower hell crammed with dead carcasses, and at the same time flowing with offensive rivers, such as flame with fire and are disturbed with tempests no live creature feeds upon another living creature but we first take away their lives and in that action we do them great wrong for as much as whatsoever is transmuted and turned into another loseth the nature which it had before and is corrupted that it may become nourishment to the others now the very plants have life in them that is clear and manifest for we perceive they grow and spread but to abstain from eating flesh as they say orpheus of old did is more a pretense than a real avoiding of an injury proceeding from the just use of meat one way there is and but one way whereby a man may avoid offence namely by being contented with his own not coveting what belongs to his neighbour but if a man's circumstances be such and so hard that he cannot subsist without wronging another man the fault is god's not his the case being such with some persons i would fain learn if it be not advisable to destroy at the same time with injustice these instruments of injustice the belly stomach and liver which have no sense of justice or appetite to honesty and therefore may be fitly compared to your cook's implements his knives and his cauldrons or to a baker's chimney and bins and kneading tubs verily one may observe the souls of some men confined to their bodies as to a house of correction barely to do the drudgery and to serve the necessities thereof it was our own case but even now while we minded our meat and our bellies we had neither eyes to see nor ears to hear but now the table is taken away we are free to discourse among ourselves and to enjoy one another and now our bellies are full we have nothing else to do or care for and if this condition and state wherein we at present are would last our whole life we having no wants to fear nor riches to covet for a desire of superfluities attends a desire of necessaries would not our lives be much more comfortable and life itself much more desirable yea but cleodemus stiffly maintains the necessity of eating and drinking else we shall want tables and cups and shall not be able to sacrifice to seres and proserpina by a parity of reason there is a necessity there should be contentions and wars that men may have bulwarks and citadels and fortifications by land fleets and navies abroad at sea and that having slain hundreds we may offer sacrifices called hecatomphomia after the messenian manner by this reason we shall find men grudging their own health for they will say there will be no need of down or feather beds unless they are sick and so those healing gods and particularly Esculapius, will be vast sufferers for they will infallibly lose so many fat and rich sacrifices yearly nay the art of chirurgery will perish and all those ingenious instruments that have been invented for the cure of man will lie by useless and insignificant and what great difference is there between this and that for meat is a medicine against hunger and such as keep a regular diet are said to cure themselves i mean such as use meat not for wantonness but of necessity 
for it is plain the prejudices we receive by feeding far surmount the pleasures and the pleasure of eating fills a very little place in our bodies in a very little time but why should i trouble you or myself with a catalogue of the many vexations which attend that man who is necessitated to provide for a family and the many difficulties which distract him in his undertaking for my part i verily believe homer had an eye to this very thing when to prove the immortality of the gods he made use of this very argument that they were such because they used no victuals for not the bread of man their life sustains nor wines and flaming juice supplies their veins intimating meat to be the cause of death as well as the means of sustaining and supporting life from hence proceed divers fatal distempers caused much more by fullness than by fasting and to digest what we have eaten proves frequently a harder matter than to provide and procure what we eat and when we solicitously inquire beforehand what we should do or how we should employ ourselves if we had not such care and business to take up our time that is if danaeus's daughters should trouble their heads to know what they should do if they had no sieves to fill with water we drudge and toil for necessaries for the want of better and nobler business as slaves then who have gained their freedom do now and then those drudgeries and discharge those servile employments and offices for their own benefit which they undertook heretofore for their master's advantage so the mind of man which at present is enslaved to the body and the service thereof when once it becomes free from this slavery will take care of itself and spend its time in contemplation of truth without distraction or disturbance such were our discourses upon this head o nicaracus seventeen and before solon had fully finished in came gorgias periander's brother who was just returned from the tenarium whither he had been sent by the advice of the oracle to sacrifice to neptune and to conduct a deputation upon his entrance we welcomed him home and periander having among the rest saluted him gorgias sat by him upon a bed and privately whispered something to his brother which we could not hear periander by his various gestures and motions discovered different affectations sometimes he seemed sad and melancholic by and by disturbed and angry frequently he looked as doubtful and distrustful men used to do a while after he lifts up his eyes as is usual of men in amaze at last recovering himself saith he i have a mind to impart to you the contents of this embassy but i scarce do it remembering thales aphorism how things impossible or incredible are to be concealed and only things credible and probable are to be related bias answered I crave leave to explain Thales, saying, We may distrust enemies, even though they speak things credible, and trust friends, even though they relate things incredible. And I suppose by enemies he meant vicious men and foolish, and by friends wise and good men. Then, Brother Gorgias, quoth Periander, I pray relate the whole story particularly. 18. Gorgias, in obedience to his brother's command, began his story thus. When we had fasted now for three days and offered sacrifice upon each of those days, we were all resolved to sit upon the third night and spend it in pastime and dancing. The moon shone very bright upon the water, and the sea was exceeding calm and still. This we saw, for we sported ourselves upon the shore. Being thus taken up, all of a sudden we espied a wonderful spectacle off at sea, making with incredible expedition to the adjoining promontory the violence of the motion made the sea foam again and the noise was so loud that the whole company forsook their sport and ran together toward the place admiring what the matter should be before we could make a full discovery of the whole the motion was so rapid we perceived divers dolphins some swimming in a ring or circle others hastening amain to that part of the shore which was most smooth and others following afar and as it were bringing up the rear 
in the middle there was a certain heap which we could perceive above the water but we could not distinctly apprehend what it was till drawing near the shore we saw all the dolphins flocking together and having made near the land they safely surrendered their charge and left out of danger a man breathing and shaking himself they returned to the promontory and there seemed to rejoice more than before for this was their fortunate undertaking divers in the company were affrighted and ran away myself and a few more took courage and went on to see and satisfy ourselves what this unusual matter might be and there we found and instantly knew our old acquaintance arian the musician who told us his name he wore that very garment he used when he strove for mastery we brought him into our tent and found he had received no damage in his passage save only a little lassitude by the violence of the motion he told us the whole story of his adventure a story incredible to all but such as saw it with their eyes he told us how when he had determined to leave italy being hastened away by periander's letters he went aboard a corinthian merchantman then in port and ready to sail being off at sea with the winds favorable he observed the seamen bent to ruin him and the master of the vessel told him as much and that they purposed to execute their design upon him that very night in this distress the poor man as if inspired by his good genius girds about him his heretofore victorious now his funeral cloak with a brave resolution to compose and sing his own epitaph as the swans when they apprehend the approaches of death are reported to do being thus habited he told the seaman he was minded to commit the protection of himself and his fellow passengers to the providence of the gods in a pythian song then standing upon the poop near the side of the vessel and having invoked the help and assistance of all the sea gods he strikes up briskly and sings to his harp before he had half finished his carol the sun set and he could discern peloponnesus before him the seamen thought it tedious to tarry for the night wherefore they resolved to murder him immediately to which purpose they unsheathed their swords seeing this and beholding the master standing with his face covered he leaped into the sea as far as he could but before his body sank he found himself supported by dolphins at first he was surprised with care and trouble but by and by finding himself marching forward with much ease and security and observing a whole shoal of dolphins flocking about him and joyfully contending which should appear most forward and serviceable in his preservation and discerning the vessel at a considerable distance behind he apprehended the nimbleness of his porters then and not till then his fears forsook him and he professed he was neither so fearful of death nor desirous of life as he was full of ambitious desire to reach the haven of safety that he might show to all men that he stood in the grace and favor of the gods and that he might himself believe more firmly than ever before in their being and goodness in his passage as he lifted up his eyes toward heaven and beheld the stars glittering and twinkling and the moon full and glorious and the sea calm all about her as she seemed to rise out of it and yielding him as it were a beaten track he declared he thought god's justice had more eyes than one and that with these many eyes the gods beheld what was acted here below both by sea and land with such contemplations he performed his voyage less anxiously which much abated the tediousness thereof and was a comfort and refreshment to him in his solitude and danger at last arriving near the promontory which was both steep and high and fearing danger in a straight course and direct line they unanimously veered about and making to the shore with a little compass for security they delivered arian to us in safety so that he plainly perceived and with thanks acknowledged a providence when arian had finished this narrative of his escape i asked him quoth georgius whither the ship was bound and he told me for corinth but it would not be there very suddenly for when he leaped out of the ship and was carried as he conceived about five hundred furlongs he perceived a calm which must needs much retard their arrival who were aboard 
gorgias added that having learned the names of the pilot and master and the colors of the ship he immediately dispatched out ships and soldiers to examine all the ports all this while keeping arian concealed lest the criminal should upon notice of his deliverance escape the pursuit of justice this action happened very luckily as if it were directed by the power of the gods for as soon as he arrived at corinth news was brought him that the same ship was in port and that his party had seized it and secured all the men merchants and others whereupon periander commended georgia's discretion and zeal desiring him to proceed and lose no time but immediately to clap them in close prison and to suffer none to come at them to give the least notice of arian's miraculous escape nineteen gentlemen quoth aesop i remember you derided my dialogue of the daws and the crows and now you can admire and believe as improbable a story of dolphins you are mightily out said i for this is no new story which we believe but it is recorded in the annals of inno and athamas above a thousand years ago these passages are supernatural quoth solon and much above our reason what befell hesiod is of a lower kind and more proper for our discourse and if you have not heard of it before it is worth your hearing hesiod was once entertained in the same house in locris with a certain milesian in this his sojourning time it happened the gentleman's daughter was got with child by the milesian which being discovered the whole family concluded hesiod if not guilty must be privy to the fact his innocence was but a weak fence against their jealousy and aspersions and therefore rashly censuring him guilty the brothers of the woman waylaid him in his return home and slew him and his companion troilus near the temple of the Nemean jove in locris their carcasses they threw into the sea that of troilus was carried into the river daphnus and rested upon a certain rock compassed with waters just above the surface of the sea which rock bears his name to this day the body of hesiod was no sooner fallen upon the surface of the water but a company of dolphins received it and conveyed it to reum and malacria it happened the lucrians were assembled at reum that day to feast and make merry according to the custom which continues still among them as soon as they perceived a carcass floating or rather swimming towards them they hastened not without admiration to see what it was and knowing the body to be hesiod's they instantly resolved to find out the murderers it proved an easy discovery after conviction they threw them headlong alive into the sea and ordered their houses to be demolished to the very foundations the body they buried in the grove of the temple of jove that no foreigner might find it out the reason of this act was that the orchaminians had searched far and near for it at the instigation of the oracle who promised them the greatest felicity if they could get the bones of hesiod and bury them in their city now if dolphins are so favorable to dead men it is very probable they have a strong affection for the living especially for such as delight in music whether vocal or instrumental and this we know undoubtedly that these creatures delight infinitely in music they love it and if any man sings or plays as he sails along in fair weather they will quietly swim by the side of the ship and listen till the music is ended when children bathe in water and sport themselves you shall have a parcel of them flock together and sport and swim by them and they may do it the more securely since it is a breach of the law of nature to hurt them you never heard of any man that fishes for them purposely or hurts them wilfully unless falling into the nets they spoil the sport and so like naughty children are corrected for their misdemeanors i very well remember the lesbians told me how a maid of their town was preserved from drowning by them twenty it was a very true story quoth pittacus and there are divers still alive who will attest it if need be the builders or founders of lesbos were commanded by the oracle to sail till they came to a haven called mesogeum there they should sacrifice a bull to neptune and for the honor of amphitrite and the sea nymphs they should offer a virgin the principal persons in this colony were seven in number the eighth one was aeschylus by name and appointed head of the rest by the oracle himself and he was a bachelor 
a daughter of one of the seven was to be sacrificed but who it should be was to be decided by lot and the lot fell upon smintheus's sister her they dressed most richly and so apparelled they conveyed her in abundance of state to the waterside and having composed a prayer for her they were now ready to throw her overboard there was in the company a certain ingenuous young gentleman whose name was enelus he was desperately in love with this young lady and his love prompted him to endeavor all he could for her preservation or at least to perish in the attempt in the very moment she was to be cast away he clasps her in his arms and throws himself and her together into the sea shortly after there was a flying report they were both conveyed safe to land a while after enelus was seen at lesbos who gave out they were preserved by dolphins i could tell you stories more incredible than these such as would amuse some and please others but it is impossible to command men's faith the sea was so tempestuous and rough the people were afraid to come too near the waters when enelus arrived a number of polypuses followed him even to neptune's temple the biggest and strongest of which carried a great stone this enelus dedicated and this stone is therefore called enelus to this day to be short and to speak all in a few words he that knows how to distinguish between the impossible and the unusual to make a difference between the unlikely and the absurd to be neither too credulous nor too distrustful he hath learned your lesson do not overdo twenty one anacharsis after all this discourse spake to thus purpose since thales has inserted the being of a soul in all the principal and most noble parts of the universe it is no wonder that the most commendable acts are governed by an overruling power for as the body is the organ of the soul so the soul is an instrument in the hand of god now as the body has many motions of its own proceeding from itself but the best and most from the soul so the soul acts some things by its own power but in most things it is subordinate to the will and power of god whose glorious instrument it is to me it seems highly unreasonable and i should be but too apt to censure the wisdom of the gods if i were convinced that they use fire and water and wind and clouds and rain for the preservation and welfare of some and for the detriment and destruction of others while at the same time they make no use of living creatures that are doubtless more serviceable to their ends than bows are to the scythians or harps or pipes to the greeks chersias the poet broke off this discourse and told the company of divers that were miraculously preserved to his certain knowledge and more particularly of Cypselus, Periander's father, who being newly born, his adversary sent a party of bloody fellows to murder him. They found the child in his nurse's arms, and seeing him smile innocently upon them, they had not the heart to hurt him, and so departed. But presently recalling themselves and considering the peremptoriness of their orders, they returned and searched for him, but they could not find him, for his mother had hid him very carefully in a chest. When he came to years of discretion and understood the greatness of his former danger and deliverance, he consecrated a chapel at Delphi to Apollo, by whose care he conceived himself preserved from crying in that critical time, and by his cries from betraying his own life. Pittacus, addressing his discourse to Periander, said, It is well done of Chersias to make mention of that chapel, for this brings to my mind a question I several times purposed to ask you but still forgot, namely, to what intent all those frogs were carved upon the palm-tree before the door, and how they affect neither the deity nor the dedicator? Periander remitted him to Chersias for the answer, as a person better versed in these matters, for he was present when Cypselus consecrated the chapel. But Chersias, smiling, would not satisfy them until they resolved him the meaning of these aphorisms. Do not overdo. Know thyself but particularly and principally this which had scared divers from wedlock and others from suretyship and others from speaking at all promise and you are ruined what need we to explain to you these when you yourself have so mightily magnified aesop's comment upon each of them 
Aesop replied, when Chersias is disposed to jest with me in these subjects, and to jest in earnest, he is pleased to father such sayings and sentences upon Homer, who bringing in Hector furiously flying upon others, yet at another time represents him as flying from Ajax, son of Telamon, an argument that Hector knew himself. And Homer made Ulysses approve the saying, Do not overdo, when he besought his friend Diomedes, not to command him too much, nor yet to censure him too much and for suretyship he exposes it as a matter unsafe nay highly dangerous saying that to be bound for idle and wicked men is full of hazard to confirm this chersias reported how jupiter had thrown eight headlong out of heaven because she was by when he made the promise about the birth of hercules whereby he was circumvented here solon interrupted i am of this mind that we now give ear to the most wise homer but now the night extends her awful shade the goddess parts you be the night obeyed if it please the company then let us sacrifice to the muses to neptune and to amphitrite and so bid each adieu for the night this was the conclusion of that meeting my dear nicarchus end of section three